0: After three days of fighting my urges to give up, I had finally found my stride. I wasn't even confident that I would continue the routine, putting it off until the very brink. It occurred to me that if I didn't put in this work, everything would crumble. It was late then, dark streets, cold air. In the distance I could hear a violent wind, the cars on the freeway zipping by. All of these things made me uneasy, so I slipped my earbuds in and started listening to my favorite podcast. Something in my head told me that I should leave one ear empty, a small glint of reality. My anxiety said otherwise. I didn't want to acknowledge the world, acknowledge the shadows of night folk, acknowledge the barking dogs. I watched myself move forward, past homes, trees, and wooden fences. For the first time, the pain in my calves didn't bother me. I chuckled to myself, realizing that this was no longer a challenge. A young man like me, overweight and unathletic, had accomplished the first step in my journey. I reached the intersection in the road, meaning that I was done with my running. I had established the spot on my first day. For the past 3 days, all I could think about was reaching that point. This fourth night, I had beat the urge. I enjoyed my run and I felt great. I continued on with the routine, taking the road to the right a steady walk. I planned to run down that street too, eventually. For now, I didn't want to overexert myself. The eeriness of the night was harder to ignore now. This street was less busy. Darker too. Many a time I had seen drugged out people walk down that way. They liked to come and go, finding refuge on the trails of our local park. A newfound confidence in me, I took one earbud out from my ear. This was not the place to ignore. I went past a hedge decorated with fake cobwebs. There were three more days until Halloween. I had gone by a couple skeletons and ghouls while running, but given them no time or notice. Goofy and cute, the majority of them were, posed in dandy positions with festive lights hung to and fro. I gazed up at the moon, a perfect circle with an ethereal orange glow. Its cinematic aura brought up images of lycanthropes in my mind. I took another turn to the right, downhill and vast. This road felt less dangerous, but far more alien. I'd never seen it at night before. The houses trailing to the very end seemed to go on forever. The streetlights spread apart, illuminating it all with an overwhelming sense of liminality. I was closer to the freeway now, and I could hear the rushing cars flying past behind the suburbs. The sound was intense. With every car, it seemed like a powerful spirit was roaring near, before growing distant and non threatening. Not a single living soul could be seen. The only sign of humanity was the porch lights that lit my way. Silence. The comfort of the podcast gone. My phone let out one last agonizing vibration before shutting off completely. I cursed under my breath and carried on. It was then that I felt utterly vulnerable. All I had now were my surroundings to latch onto, and I did not like my surroundings. Before me, the road seemed to continue forward endlessly, drenched in blots of darkness. Anxious, I peeked behind me. Nothing. It was too late to turn back now. I had gone too far. Walking past a decorated house, I found myself intrigued by the presentation. A dimly lit path going down the lawn, a plastic skeleton leaning over a boiling cauldron that glowed green. Standing beside this skeleton was the silhouette of a clown. The figure stood about the size of a small child, but with the build and proportions of a spindly man, its arms outstretched as if it was in mid-conversation. Any other details were incomprehensible, its shape covered in shadow. Something about its stance made me feel uncomfortable. I watched it carefully as I went by. I reached the bottom of the hill, but still the road continued on. The streetlights spread out farther than before. I strode by a trailer, wondering what it would be like to have that life. Then, what can only be described as the most disturbed feeling came over me. For the first time since I had started walking, I heard footsteps that were not my own. They were farther behind me, a clickety-clack, inconsistent like an awkward tap dance, overwhelming dread. It's what held me as I slowly turned around, standing in the very center of the road, a bit up the hill, that same silhouette. The clown took a step forward, the clacking of its shoe echoing on the pavement. Another step, this time with no sound. It had gotten my attention and now, whatever this horrendous little demon was, It wanted to toy with me. I watched it silently dash behind a parked car, disappearing from view. Something clicked in me, an understanding that I had never come to before in my life. Its appearance shook me less than its energy. It could have been anything, a dog, a man, a beast, all irrelevant, no. It was the fact that deep in my soul I knew that this thing was a predator, and I was its prey. Even its size meant nothing to me. My mind raced with possible solutions. I remembered a couple of months ago, a video I had seen. A man, walking backwards from a cougar that had stalked him down a hiking trail. I emulated this concept without a second thought, backing away, my eyes trained on the line of cars I imagined it to be. My steps were quick, I didn't care to even check what was behind me. The clown stepped out into the open again, facing towards me. Still, I couldn't make out anything on its face, just simple outlines, a pointy chin that rolled up into two round cheeks before expanding unnaturally outwards with a bulbous forehead, a ring of curly hair wrapped tightly around the base of this bald head, falling slightly above its cartoonishly large ears. It let out a couple of whistles, the first quick and sharp, the second was drawn out and moved unevenly in a pitch. It ended with a fizzling squeal like a deflating balloon. The clown hopped three times to the side before waddling to the opposite side of the street and vanishing again from sight. I quickened my pace. Something told me that it was growing closer. I saw a hint of it in the darkness, crawling on the sidewalk like a gleeful baby. It scuttled under another car and rolled back onto the road. It had now reached the bottom of the hill. Clambering back onto its feet, the clown strode forward in my direction. It moved quickly, its feet dancing over the asphalt, almost appearing to hover. In a split second it was dashing side to side, zigzagging from one side of the road to the other, building in speed. Planning was no longer viable. I lost any sense of myself. Only one urge drove me, the primal urge to survive. I spun around and ran. Never had I felt so terrified in my entire twenty years of life. I ran faster, swifter, and harder than I could have dreamt to in those past three days. Pain barely registered in my head. I was a machine, programmed with one simple prerogative, to get the ever-loving hell away from this thing. The clown, wanting to reassure me of its presence, began to emit sound once again, its clickety-clacking shoes skidding against the pavement. The end of the road. I had made it. I took a sharp turn to the right, a smaller street leading straight towards the busier environment I had earlier flourished in during my initial run. That was it. Hope. Washing over me. Safety and civilization. I leaped forward and very quickly, everything went wrong. My foot buckled on impact and I felt my leg jut out unnaturally to the side. A horrible realization hit me as I fell over onto the ground. I had retorn my ACL, a fear I had during these recent runs, now a reality. I let out a cry of pain and surprise. Rolling onto my back, I saw the clown stepping under the closest streetlight. For the first time, I saw its face small, green, piercing eyes, almost cat-like. Those eyes stared at me, bright with excitement. Its round red nose sat above its plump, cherry-colored lips. Its skin was stained with spots of dirt and reminded me uncannily of baseball rubber. As it took another step, I couldn't help but notice how lifeless it felt. An old decoration come to life. I had no other options. I screamed, shouting into the night like a crazed lunatic, begging for someone to save me. This did not deter the clown. It smiled at me with its swollen lips and approached me. I flailed my good leg at it, kicking the empty air. I scooted myself backwards away from the thing, my hand reaching behind me and touching something soft and wet. I withdrew myself, realizing that I had stumbled onto roadkill. A large rodent, its insides poured out onto the concrete, still wet and fresh. I pushed away from it, looking up at the clown. No longer did it show interest in me, Now it seemed trained on the deceased animal. It hunched down, pinching at it. Carefully it scooped up the rodent, clutching it delicately with both of its tiny hands. Finally it noticed me again. It studied me, a satisfied look on its face. I watched it turn away and head back down the road, its movements childlike and giddy. It peered back at me one more time, a chunk of flesh hanging down from its lips. Content it continued on its way, leaving me be. I heard the sound of someone's front door creaking open nearby. Heavy footsteps made their way towards me. A large man, a bathrobe draped over him, loomed over me. Concerned, he asked me what was the matter. I pointed down the street, but there was nothing to see. Trembling, I gazed crazily at the darkness. The clown was gone. I thought I knew what a narcissist was up until two days ago. I had studied it and remembered the traits. I thought I knew about four of them, including my parents. Trust me, there's a whole other level of it, and it would be scary to witness if you weren't very secure in yourself. Experiencing it firsthand is mind-boggling. If you even think a person could not have Narcissistic Personality Disorder, NPD, then they probably don't. I was able to detect an extreme, extremely clearly in someone to a degree of absolute certainty. And I'm glad I had this encounter because what I had previously thought about certain people was in fact completely wrong. It all started when I was sitting in a coffee shop at 6 a.m. downloading movies on their Wi-Fi. A guy in a truck parked and came up to the car's slightly open window asking about the prices of local homes. He appeared to be around 35 to 40 years old well-dressed, charming, and didn't stutter or sound unintelligent. I initially thought this guy was normal, asking a pretty basic question, so I remained passive. However, he didn't seem to want to leave and stood there in awkward silence after I told him the price range was $320,000 to $500,000. Then he asked me who's the best builder, and I thought to myself, do I look like a realtor? I told him I didn't know, and he then said, You have a good long weekend, thanks, and that's when things got weird. He went into the coffee shop for 45 minutes, and I started to think that this was somewhat odd. When he came out, he walked back up to my window and gave me an odd look of disappointment, saying, Okay, you have a nice long weekend, as if we needed to continue our conversation from before his 45-minute absence. He then talked to someone passing by in front of my car, and they seemed to know each other from years ago. The person asked him, so you're back in town? I thought maybe this guy isn't the creepiest person I've ever met. However, the situation quickly turned even stranger. He put on his headphones, walked to the tailgate of his truck, crossed his arms over the back of it, rested his head in his arms, and stared at me for at least five minutes from about thirty feet away. I glanced at him every minute to see if he was still staring at me. I thought, this guy's really creepy, I should probably leave. But my movies weren't finished i'm not typically afraid of other people so i stayed but i had a combat switchblade in my car door for situations like this i felt pretty safe because of who i am but this guy seemed to be trying to intimidate me with every lie that came out of his mouth and there were inconsistencies galore then he started walking back up to my car and i thought what the heck does this guy want now we talked for about 30 minutes although he did most of the talking Within the first 15 minutes, I learned several things about him without saying much myself. He's looking to buy a house, but already owns four. He has a restraining order and can't go within 100 feet of where I suggested he looked for a home. He's on the dangerous person's list, almost yelling at me to Google it. His father is rich because of an IRA. He claims to be a retired cop, though I didn't believe him, and he showed me his bank account, which said $1,000 per month, but he insisted the police paid him $4,500 per month. He mentioned being in secret operations with the police but couldn't elaborate. He told me he was with the RCMP but couldn't reveal his duties. He claimed to be the main enforcer for the local notorious biker gang and spouted off random names as if I should know them. He informed me that people were afraid of him and he asked if I was afraid of him, which gave me a good laugh. People arrived at the coffee shop and he stated, Looks like the cowards are coming out of the woodwork. He told me he hadn't been with anybody in two years, and that he touches himself all the time. He informed me that he watches out for police. He stated that he is untouchable because the biker gangs and the police don't care. I asked if he had family, hinting that he should go be with them instead of bothering me. He apparently has four kids, all hockey champions under the age of 16, trained by the Toronto Maple Leafs coach. He tried to prove this with his phone, But i didn't follow hockey which disappointed him he asked me about my occupation and i told him some fabricated story to hint that i knew that he was full of lies and he didn't take it well he asked me if i knew where the best houses were and i asked if he had a realtor he said no i don't need one and he hinted that everything that he does is off the books except for the pension plan of one thousand dollars per month i became quiet my palms got sweaty and i began to think that this guy might be a psychopath I couldn't even use my phone because my fingers were so wet. I was just vaping, blowing vapor out of the window at him. He wasn't taking the hint, and I considered grabbing my blade and rolling up the window, prepared for a violent reaction like him damaging my car. An elderly man walked past him toward a dumpster, and he said to his face, Look at this chump. The old man looked wide-eyed and confused, and so was I. The old man looked at me and gave me a confirming look as if he had assessed the situation and was also thinking, what in the world is happening? He claimed to own the entire town and kept mentioning random names. He told me that there's a serial killer living down the street. He told me he wouldn't leave until 7.30am to avoid being rude to me, which left me even more confused. We sat in silence for a minute, and then he told me that I should leave because it was going to get loud soon. I wasn't sure why so I just stopped talking. Another silent minute passed, and then he looked at me, changed his facial expression to anger, and calmly said that if he were me, he'd get out of town right now. I asked, why should I leave? He says, there's a storm coming. I tell him I'm not afraid of thunder, and he looks insulted. He's been speaking in covert wording this entire time, so to get a better feel for this guy, I ask where he's from and if he slept in his truck last night. He looks offended, like I'm the one who is off his rocker, but he doesn't say anything other than, no. Silent minutes pass, and then he looks at me, changes his facial expression to anger, and says very calmly that if he were me, he'd get out of town right now. Is he warning me or threatening me? Honestly, I can't tell. It takes me a few seconds to even process what he's just said. I'm not intimidated in the least, more amused, really, and I humor him by saying, why is that? He starts laughing his head off, walking away now, and asks, Was it scary? I laugh and tell him assuredly, No, shaking my head at the absurdity of him thinking that someone like myself would be scared of someone just a few inches taller than me, and roughly the same size. I did martial arts for fifteen years, and he's halfway to his truck. Finally for Pete's sakes, he's now walking back to me. I flick my blade open and casually flip it in the air to inverted blade down, and he fist bumps me and says, You're a good guy, laughing and then walks away, roars away in his truck, windows down, music blaring at 7.35 a.m. That, my friends, is a true narcissist if I've ever encountered one. I just sat there perplexed at this character, wondering how many mental disorder boxes he checked off. It wasn't even a question. This guy was trying to intimidate me in any way possible and was trying to prove his worth to me in any way possible as well reacting to each and all of my facial expressions so quickly in such a way that made me feel like he was sizing me up the entire time. This terrifying incident still haunts me, even though it happened when I was just 12 years old. I'm nearly 17 now, and the memory of that night is etched into my mind. It was a night I'll never forget one that forever changed my perspective on safety and security. My sister, who was 14 or 15 at the time, and I were left home alone while our parents attended my little brother's hockey game. We lived in a fairly safe neighborhood where hardly anything ever happened. Everyone knew each other, and the sense of community made us feel pretty secure. Our front door was securely locked, and our back door was too, but there was a problem with our side door. It was broken, and my dad hadn't gotten around to fixing it yet. Although it never seemed like an issue before, it would prove to be a critical vulnerability that night. We were in the living room engrossed in watching TV and working on our homework when the eerie noise reached our ears. It was the sound of our fence outside, making a strange noise, as if someone had just vaulted over it. My sister and I exchanged worried glances, feeling the first traces of fear creeping into our hearts. She mustered the courage to peer through the blinds, confirming our worst fears two shadowy figures had indeed jumped the fence they were dressed in almost entirely black clothing and both wore hospital masks concealing their faces panic began to course through our veins instinctively we huddled together in the narrow space between the couches in the living room the seconds stretched into agonizing minutes as we strained to hear any further signs of intrusion then it happened a chilling sound that sent a shiver down my spine the front door knob started to wiggle. Thankfully we had locked it securely and it didn't budge, but deep down we knew that these intruders would soon make their way to the side door, the one we couldn't lock due to its malfunction. As time dragged on, the door handle on the side of the house began to jiggle with growing intensity. My heart raced, and I couldn't shake the feeling of impending doom. It was in that moment that I experienced the most intense fear I had ever known. We were trapped vulnerable and helpless. Then, a lifeline. Our dogs, a Tosa and a Rottweiler, suddenly woke up. They had been resting peacefully until that point, but now, sensing the danger, they sprang into action. One bark led to another, and soon the house was filled with the cacophony of their protective howls. The chaos and noise were deafening. In the midst of the canine uproar, we overheard one of the intruders exclaim, Yo, they got dogs! It was as if our loyal pets had become our saviors, turning the tide of this nightmarish situation. With the fear of being confronted by our furry defenders, the intruders abandoned their mission. We heard the fence creak once more, the sound of someone hastily retreating, as though they were jumping over it again. The immediate threat had passed and a sense of relief washed over us. We knew we owed our safety that night to our dogs, who had courageously defended their home. Later that night, We learned from the news that a local gas station near our house had been robbed by two armed men. To our shock, the images on the screen revealed the same individuals we had encountered earlier. Same outfits, same menacing presence. This time though, we got to see their faces and the realization hit us like a ton of bricks. Our dogs, often seen as intimidating due to their breeds, had undoubtedly saved our lives that night. It was ironic because in reality, Our dogs were the biggest lovers. While they could be loud and fierce in their barking, they wouldn't harm a soul. But on that fateful night, their mere presence and protective instincts had scared off the intruders who had intended to break into our home. We were forever grateful for our loyal companions, whose love and loyalty had transformed them into our silent heroes that night. It's been about five years now since those strange events that pushed me to quit my job as a forest ranger in the Pacific Northwest. I had been working seasonally for the Forest Service for a few years by that point, and for the most part, I loved it. Spending so much time outdoors, exploring new trails, and helping visitors was a dream come true. But the night everything went sideways is one I'll never forget. I was stationed up near Mount Baker at the time, our ranger station a couple of miles off the highway, nestled right against the edge of the National Forest. During the summer, we'd get a pretty good flow of hikers and campers coming through. My job was a mix of running the front desk, leading nature walks, enforcing rules, and generally keeping an eye on things. But one night in late August, I was scheduled for the midnight patrol shift. The midnight patrol was a routine I enjoyed. Driving through the campsites and along the trails, making sure everything was quiet and there weren't any problems. I always liked the night patrols, cruising under the stars through the tall pines with a thermos of coffee by my side. Besides the occasional rowdy group of teenagers, it was usually peaceful. When I headed out at midnight that night, it was clear skies and about 60 degrees, perfect weather for camping. I drove slowly with my window down, listening to the sounds of the forest. About 45 minutes into my patrol, I found myself on a narrow dirt road that ran between the south campsites and the main hiking trail. This road had a few pull-offs where you could park and access the trail, but it was mostly used by rangers and gated off at night. As I approached one of the pull-offs around 1am, my heart skipped a beat. I spotted a truck parked sideways across the road, completely blocking it. The headlights were still on, the doors open, but there was no one inside. I parked my own vehicle behind it and got out to take a look. No keys, no cell phone left behind. After checking the plates, I realized it was registered to a man from Seattle who had a reservation for one of the nearby campsites. An odd feeling began to gnaw at me. I grabbed my flashlight and headed onto the nearby trail to make sure the driver hadn't gotten hurt. This trail led uphill, with the forest getting denser. I called out a few times, but there was no response. After about 10 minutes, I decided to turn back and radio another ranger for help. As I walked down the hill toward the road, my flashlight beam landed on something at the edge of the trail. There, right before my eyes, was what looked like a small pile of clothes lying on top of the underbrush. I leaned closer, squinting to get a better look. My confusion turned into sheer disbelief. It was a child, a young girl, maybe seven or eight years old. She was lying on her side, eyes closed, wearing pajamas. She looked as if she were sleeping. I knelt down beside her, utterly confused about how a child could be out here alone in the middle of the night. I reached out to gently shake her shoulder, and that's when everything changed. As my hand touched her, her eyes shot open, but there was something terribly wrong. Her eyes were entirely black, no iris, no whites, just a void. In that same instant, before I could react, the girl let out an inhuman shriek, piercing the silence of the forest. I scrambled back, my heart pounding, blinded by my flashlight beam reflecting off her retinas. The scream lasted several seconds, reverberating through the trees, and then it cut off abruptly. When I looked up again, she was sitting up and staring right at me with those pure black eyes. The girl was tiny and couldn't have been more than three and a half feet tall, but the look on her face was one of utter contempt like the stare of an adult who utterly despises you. Then she spoke. The voice that came out sounded young, but also too articulate, too low-pitched for that of a child that age. This place is not for you, she said, her words sending a shiver down my spine. Leave now. I was absolutely paralyzed, unable to move or look away from those empty voids where her eyes should have been. She blinked once, and when her eyelids opened again, her eyes were normal. In that instant the girl turned and walked into the forest, quickly disappearing between the trees before I could say a word. I scrambled to my feet, my heart racing, sprinting back down the trail to my truck. I nearly twisted my ankle, stumbling over roots and rocks in my haste. I drove back down the road and radioed the situation in an absolute panic. The other ranger on duty thought I was playing some kind of prank at first, but he knew me well enough to hear the fear in my voice and know I was serious. We met back at the ranger station and went to the campsite of the truck's owner. It turned out to be an older couple and their young granddaughter. They had no idea that the truck was gone, insisting they had locked it and had both sets of keys. The girl they had with them appeared totally normal. No signs of that entity I'd encountered on the trail. Still, I couldn't bring myself to fully explain what I'd seen. The other ranger and I searched the woods and kept watch on the campsite but no other clues emerged. In the morning, the truck was still there where I'd found it. I quit working for the forest service about two weeks later. No matter how much I tried to put the event at the back of my mind, a new crawling fear took hold of me. Day or night, especially after dark, a creeping feeling of dread and terror accompanied me on patrols. I just couldn't continue patrolling those woods alone after that. I had no interest in finding out what that thing was either. As long as it was a different area, I still went camping and hiking all the time. Whatever that presence was in the forest, I think it wanted me gone, and I'm not about to ignore that kind of warning. Growing up in a small town in southern Ontario had its charms, sure, but it also had a way of making a young mind wander seeking thrills and adventure beyond the familiar i was no different my dreams vibrant and untamed often carried me far away from the routine of semi-rural life painting pictures of worlds unknown and creatures unseen and amidst those dreams one stood out starkly an ominous nightmare that haunted my nights where i found myself face to face or rather face to fang with a black panther in those nightmares the panther was relentless Its fur, as black as the void, seemed to absorb all light, rendering it almost invisible until it was too late. And those eyes, those piercing red eyes, seemed to look right through me into the very depths of my soul. It was a dance of death, and I, a mere child, was completely at its mercy. But as frightening as it was, there was a certain allure to it, a thrilling dance with danger that I couldn't quite shake off, even as I grew older southern ontario was no place for a black panther and my rational mind knew it yet my heart and soul seemed to yearn for the wilderness for the untamed and the unknown i grew up with a deep-rooted love for the outdoors finding solace and peace in the vast expanse of nature that our region offered the dense woods the tranquil lakes the open fields they were my sanctuary my escape from the mundanity of small-town life seasons changed and so did i As I grew older, my adventures took me further, from the familiar landscapes of my childhood to the wild, uncharted territories of Northern Ontario. I embraced the outdoors with open arms, seeking the thrill of the unknown, the rush of adrenaline that came with each new discovery. Camping under the stars in Bruce County, fishing in the pristine waters of Marshall Lake, portaging through Algonquin Park. These were the moments when I felt truly alive, truly myself. But even as i lost myself in the grandeur of the wilderness i never quite forgot that black panther from my dreams it lingered in the back of my mind a constant reminder of the wild untamed world that lay just beyond my reach and perhaps it was this lingering memory that drove me to seek out the unknown to venture deeper into the wilderness than i had ever gone before i saw myself as a rational person grounded in science and logic Yet the allure of the wilderness, the call of the wild, was something that transcended logic. It was a primal urge, a deep-seated need to connect with something greater than myself, to experience the raw, untamed beauty of nature in its purest form. And so I ventured forth into the heart of the northern Ontario wilderness, little knowing that the journey would take me face to face with the unimaginable, with the very creature that had haunted my dreams all those years ago. The forest of Northern Ontario is an entity of its own, ancient and timeless, whispering tales of the past in every rustling leaf and creaking branch. As I ventured deeper into its heart, I could feel its eyes upon me, watchful and knowing. The wild had a way of stripping you down, revealing your true self, and I was no exception. I had come in search of solitude, of a connection with the wilderness, but what I found was something far more profound. My camp was set up by the edge of a serene lake, its surface as smooth as glass, reflecting the vast canopy of stars above. The moon hung low in the sky, casting an ethereal glow upon the landscape. It was a sight to behold, a moment of sheer beauty and tranquility, and yet there was something unsettling in the air, a silence that was too deep, too profound. The woods held their breath, concealing secrets as old as time itself. I had always prided myself on being attuned to the wilderness, on being able to read its subtle cues and whispers, but that night I was out of my depth, lost in a world that was both familiar and utterly alien. The fire crackled softly, its warm glow warding off the encroaching darkness. But the darkness was persistent, creeping in from the edges of my consciousness, bringing with it a sense of unease that I couldn't shake off. I tried to convince myself that it was all in my head, the product of an overactive imagination, but the feeling persisted, gnawing at the edges of my mind until it was all I could think about. And then the howl shattered the silence, a haunting lament that echoed through the forest, sending chills down my spine. It was a sound unlike any I had heard before, a cry that seemed to resonate with the very soul of the wilderness. I froze, my breath catching in my throat, as the howl came again closer this time more urgent there was a malevolence in the sound a dark promise that sent waves of panic surging through me my rational mind screamed at me to stay put to wait it out in the safety of the fire but my instincts had other ideas propelling me to my feet urging me to flee and so i ran i ran like i had never run before my heart pounding in my chest my breath coming in ragged gasps The forest was a blur around me, the trees merging into one as I sprinted through the undergrowth. The howl followed me, a constant companion in my flight, its malevolence growing with every step I took. I didn't know what was chasing me, and in that moment I didn't care. All I knew was that I needed to get away, to put as much distance between me and it as possible. My flashlight beam cut through the darkness, casting eerie shadows on the ancient trees. And then I saw it a creature of the night, its fur as black as coal, its eyes burning with an otherworldly fire. My mind reeled, struggling to make sense of what I was seeing. The creature was like nothing I had ever seen before, a nightmare come to life. And in that moment, as our eyes locked, I felt an invasive presence in my mind, tendrils of darkness wrapping around my thoughts. I was paralyzed, caught in the creature's hypnotic gaze, until the instinct to survive kicked in. Propelling me forward once again, I fled into the night, the creature hot on my heels, its sinister laughter ringing in my ears. I was a pawn in its deadly game, a plaything for its amusement. The forest closed in around me, the darkness growing thicker with every step. I was lost, disoriented, but driven by a primal instinct to survive. And as I stumbled through the undergrowth, I realized that I had ventured into a world beyond my understanding, into the heart of darkness itself. The breaking of dawn did little to dispel the night's terrors. My breaths came out in ragged gasps as I stumbled out of the tree line. every rustling leaf and snapping twig a reminder of the relentless pursuit. The forest had changed. It was no longer a place of refuge, but a menacing entity, hiding shadows and secrets in its depths. I could still feel the creature's eyes on me, burning into the back of my skull, even though the chase had come to an end. My limbs were heavy. My body pushed to its limits, but the adrenaline coursing through my veins kept me moving, away from the dark canopy of the forest and into the open. The small town of Pine Valley emerged in the distance, a cluster of buildings huddled together against the vast wilderness. My steps quickened at the sight, a glimmer of hope igniting in my chest. Civilization meant safety, a reprieve from the night's horrors, or so I thought. As i made my way through the town's quiet streets i realized something was amiss the place was eerily silent the usual signs of life absent it was as if the town itself was holding its breath caught in the same dark spell that had ensnared the forest my instincts screamed at me to turn back to flee from the unseen threat but i needed answers needed to understand what was happening and so i pushed forward my senses heightened ready for whatever lay ahead The town's general store loomed ahead, its windows dark, the door slightly ajar. A sense of foreboding washed over me as I stepped inside, the creaking of the floorboards loud in the silence. The shelves were half empty, goods scattered across the floor as if left in a hurry. My heart pounded in my chest as I made my way through the store, every shadow a potential hiding place for the creature. But it was the sight that greeted me in the back room that stopped me in my tracks. The store owner, or what was left of him, lay sprawled across the floor, his body twisted in an unnatural angle. I stifled a gasp, my stomach turning at the gruesome scene. The man's eyes were wide open frozen in a final moment of terror. It was clear he had come face to face with the same creature that had chased me through the forest, and he had not been as lucky. The reality of the situation hit me like a punch to the gut. I was dealing with something beyond human comprehension, a force that could not be reasoned with or escaped. The town of Pine Valley was under siege and I had walked right into the heart of the storm. My mind raced, trying to piece together the puzzle. What was this creature? Why was it here? And what did it want? The answers were elusive, hidden in the shadows of the town and the depths of the forest. With a deep breath I steeled myself, pushing the fear to the back of my mind. I had to keep moving, had to find a way to stop the creature before it claimed any more lives. And so, with a final glance at the fallen store owner, I stepped back into the light of day, determined to unravel the threads of the mystery, no matter where they led. The midday sun did little to warm my spirits as I trudged along the edge of Pine Valley. My encounter in the general store had left me shaken, a stark reminder of the gravity of the situation. The creature was real, its threat palpable, and I was right in the middle of it. I shook my head trying to dispel the fog of fear that clouded my thoughts. Panic would do me no good. I needed to stay sharp, stay focused. The creature had taken one life already. I couldn't let there be any more. As I walked, the sight of the sheriff's office came into view. A beacon of authority in the chaos. I hesitated. My trust in law enforcement worn thin after years of navigating bureaucracy and red tape. But right now, I needed allies and the sheriff was the best chance I had. I pushed open the door, the sound of my entrance cutting through the hushed murmurs of the office. Heads turned, eyes sizing me up as I made my way to the front desk. I cleared my throat, my voice steady as I asked to speak to the sheriff. The deputy behind the desk eyed me warily, his hand resting on his holster. And what business do you have with the sheriff? He asked, his tone guarded. I took a deep breath, my mind racing for the right words. I've seen the creature, I said simply, the truth laid bare, and I think I can help stop it. The deputy's eyes widened, his posture shifting as he took in my words. For a moment I thought I had made a mistake, revealed too much, but then he nodded, motioning for me to follow him to the back office. The sheriff's office was small, cluttered with papers and equipment. The man himself sat behind the desk, his gaze sharp as he looked me over. You've seen the creature? He asked, his voice laced with skepticism. I nodded, my words pouring out in a rush as I recounted my encounter in the forest, the chase, the gruesome discovery in the general store. I left nothing out, my need for him to believe me outweighing any reservations. The sheriff was silent for a moment, his expression unreadable, and then he sighed, his shoulders slumping as he ran a hand through his hair. I've lost three people to that thing, he said, his voice low. Three good people, and I couldn't do a damn thing to stop it. I saw the pain in his eyes, the weight of his failure heavy on his shoulders, and in that moment I knew I had found my ally. Let me help, I said, my voice firm. Together we can stop it. The sheriff looked at me, his gaze assessing, and then he nodded. A reluctant agreement formed. All right, he said, his voice resolute, but you do exactly as I say, understand? This creature is like nothing we've ever seen before. I nodded, a sense of purpose igniting in my chest. The creature had taken enough from this town, from us. It was time to fight back. Time to take a stand. And together, the sheriff and I would face the darkness, whatever the cost. The first light of dawn crept through the trees as we set out, the sheriff leading the way with a grim determination etched on his face. The plan was simple. Track the creature back to its lair and put an end to it, once and for all. My heart pounded in my chest as we walked the gravity of what we were about to do weighing heavily on me. The forest was silent, the usual sounds of nature stifled by a palpable tension in the air. I couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched, that the creature was out there, lurking in the shadows. The sheriff seemed to sense it too, his steps cautious as he navigated through the trees. We're close, he whispered, his eyes scanning the surroundings. I can feel it. I nodded, my grip on my rifle tightening, We had been tracking the creature for hours, following a trail of disturbed foliage and ominous signs. The sheriff was experienced, his instincts sharp, but I could tell he was on edge, the pressure of the situation getting to him. The terrain grew rougher as we pressed on, the trees giving way to a rocky outcrop. The sheriff paused, his gaze fixed on a dark opening in the rocks. There, he said, his voice barely audible. That's where it is. My breath caught in my throat as I realized the enormity of what we were about to do. The creature was inside, and we were going in after it. The sheriff looked at me, his eyes steely as he handed me a flashlight. Stay behind me and keep your eyes open. We don't know what we're walking into. I nodded, my mouth dry as I followed him into the darkness. The air was thick with the scent of decay, the sound of our footsteps echoing off the walls. My heart raced, every shadow every noise sending a jolt of fear through me. We moved cautiously, the beam of our flashlights cutting through the darkness. The cave was deep, the walls closing in around us as we descended further into the lair. The sheriff's steps faltered, his flashlight revealing a gruesome sight. Bodies, or what was left of them, lay scattered across the ground, the evidence of the creature's brutality clear for all to see. My stomach turned, the horror of the scene overwhelming, But the sheriff pushed on, his resolve unwavering. We reached the end of the cave, the space opening up into a large chamber, and there in the center was the creature, its eyes glowing in the darkness. My breath caught in my throat as it rose, its size and power evident. The sheriff raised his rifle, his voice steady as he spoke. This ends now. The creature roared, the sound echoing off the walls as it charged. Time seemed to slow as I raised my own weapon my finger on the trigger. The sheriff fired, his shot hitting the creature square in the chest, but it wasn't enough. The creature kept coming, its eyes fixed on us with a burning rage. I fired, my shot joining the sheriff's as we fought for our lives. The creature stumbled, its momentum faltering as it collapsed to the ground. The chamber fell silent, the only sound our heavy breathing as we realized what we had done. We had faced the darkness, faced the creature, and come out alive. The sheriff looked at me, his eyes filled with a mix of relief and sorrow. It's over, he said, his voice soft. It's finally over. And as we made our way out of the cave, out of the darkness, I knew he was right. We had faced the unimaginable, and though the cost had been high, we had prevailed. The town would be safe once more, and the shadows would no longer have power over us. The walk back from the creature's lair was silent, Both the sheriff and I lost in our own thoughts. The weight of what had just happened bore down on us, and even though we had emerged victorious, the darkness of the cave lingered. As the first light of dawn began to break through the trees, I felt a sense of relief wash over me. We had done it. We had taken down the creature that had terrorized the town for so long. I looked over at the sheriff, expecting to see the same relief mirrored in his eyes, but instead, I saw something else. Fear. We need to hurry he urged, his pace quickening. I furrowed my brow, confusion setting in. What's wrong? He didn't answer, his eyes scanning the trees around us. It was then that I felt it, the same eerie feeling from before, like we were being watched. My heart rate picked up, my senses heightening. We're not alone, the sheriff whispered, his voice laced with dread. I gripped my rifle tightly, my eyes darting around the forest. What do you mean? Before he could answer, A low growl echoed through the trees, sending a chill down my spine. It was a sound I recognized, a sound I had hoped to never hear again. The creature. But we killed it, I said, my voice barely audible. The sheriff shook his head, his eyes wide with terror. There's more than one. The realization hit me like a ton of bricks, the gravity of the situation sinking in. We had walked into the lion's den, unprepared and outnumbered. The sheriff and I backed away slowly. Our eyes fixed on the trees they're hunting us he said his voice filled with a resigned terror i felt my legs give out beneath me the enormity of what was happening overwhelming but the sheriff was relentless his survival instincts kicking in get up we need to move now i forced myself to stand my body moving on autopilot as we ran the growls grew louder closer the creatures closing in on us my breath came in ragged gasps "'my legs burning from the exertion, "'and then out of nowhere they appeared. "'Shadows moving through the trees with an eerie grace. "'The creatures. "'There were too many to count, "'their eyes glowing in the darkness. "'The sheriff fired, "'his shots ringing out through the forest. "'But it was useless. "'The creatures were too fast. "'Too many. "'One of them lunged, "'its claws tearing through the sheriff's side "'as he fell to the ground, "'his screams filling the air.' I froze, terror paralyzing me as the creatures circled in. The sheriff's eyes met mine, filled with a resigned terror. Run, he mouthed, his voice a whisper, but I couldn't move, couldn't tear my eyes away as the creatures descended upon him, his screams cut off abruptly, and then they turned their attention to me, their eyes filled with a hunger, a malice. I felt a hand on my shoulder, cold and lifeless, and I turned to see the sheriff his eyes hollow, his body mutilated. "'Join us,' he whispered, his voice echoing in my ears. I screamed, my legs finally moving as I ran, the creature's laughter haunting my every step. The forest closed in around me, the darkness consuming me as I realized the truth. The creatures were the shadows, and the shadows were alive, and I was their prey.' From the moment Ricky and I decided to tackle the Mount of the Holy Cross, I knew we were in for the kind of challenge that gets your blood pumping and your mind racing. We'd conquered several of Colorado's peaks that winter, but this one, with its steep snow-filled couloir, had been eluding us for the better part of a year. We'd spent nights poring over maps, checking weather patterns, and packing and repacking our gear. We thought we were ready. The TV weather forecast had been reassuring, a clear window, right in the middle of our Thanksgiving break. It was like the mountain was calling out to us, daring us to take on its icy slopes. Our plan was simple. We'd set up a base camp a few miles from the start of the climb, stash our overnight gear, and hit the snowshoot. We'd be up and down before nightfall. That was the plan, at least. We arrived at the base under a clear blue sky, the mountain towering above us, its peaks touching the heavens. The air was crisp filled with the scent of pine and the promise of adventure. We strapped on our gear and started the climb, our boots crunching in the snow, our breaths visible in the cold air. The first few hundred feet were a breeze and I remember turning to Ricky, a grin on my face, thinking we had this in the bag. The snow was deep, deeper than we'd expected, but it was nothing we couldn't handle. But as we climbed higher, the snow became a relentless foe. It was loose, powdery, and it swallowed our boots with every step. We were making progress, but it was slow, painstakingly slow. The mountain was testing us, pushing us to our limits. I glanced up, the summit a distant promise and pushed on, my muscles burning, my breath coming in ragged gasps. We were on schedule, or so I thought, until I noticed the clouds, dark and ominous, rolling in from the west. We should have seen it coming. We should have turned back right then and there, but the mountain had a hold on us and we were too stubborn too blinded by our ambition to see the danger we were in. The snowstorm hit without warning, a wall of white, obliterating everything in its path. The wind howled, tearing at our clothes, stinging our faces with ice and snow. We couldn't see, couldn't hear, and in that moment, I knew we were in serious trouble. We weighed our options, but there were none. The descent was too dangerous, the snow too unstable. Our only choice was to push on, to reach the summit and descend the north ridge. It was a gamble, a desperate bid for survival. And as darkness fell around us, I couldn't shake the feeling that we had made a grave mistake. The mountain was unforgiving, and as we climbed higher, the storm raged on, a relentless force of nature testing our strength, our will to survive. But we pushed on, one step at a time, determined to conquer the Mount of the Holy Cross or die trying. As the storm raged around us, the world reduced to a whirlwind of snow and ice, Ricky and I realized the gravity of our situation. We were caught in the mountain's icy grip and there was no easy way out. The snow was relentless, each flake a tiny dagger and the wind was a howling beast trying to sweep us off our feet. We leaned into it, our bodies battered but not broken as we continued our desperate climb. The darkness was complete, the storm having swallowed the last vestiges of daylight. Our headlamps were all but useless The beams swallowed by the swirling snow we moved by feel by instinct each step a test of faith i could see the fear in ricky's eyes mirrored by my own we were experienced climbers but this was something else something beyond our wildest imaginations the mountain was showing us its true power and it was terrifying the cold was another enemy seeping into our bones numbing our limbs we knew the dangers of hypothermia knew we needed to keep moving to stay alive But with each step, the cold dug its claws deeper, and I could feel my strength fading. We reached the summit in a daze, the storm still raging, the world reduced to chaos. We knew we needed to descend, to find shelter, but in the blinding snow and darkness, we were lost. Our phones were our lifeline, our connection to the outside world. But as we tried to call for help, to let our families know we were alive, we realized the gravity of our situation. The storm had taken away our signal, leaving us cut off, alone. We had no choice but to hunker down, to find what shelter we could and wait out the storm. We found a lip of rock, a small overhang, and crawled underneath, our bodies shivering, our breaths coming in gasps. We huddled together, trying to share our body heat, trying to fend off the cold. We had our gear, our jackets and gloves, but it was little comfort against the mountain's fury. I thought of our families, of the people we had left behind. I thought of the search and rescue teams, of the people who would come looking for us. And in the dark, in the cold, I prayed. I prayed for strength, for the storm to pass. I prayed for a miracle, for a chance to survive. And as the night wore on, as the storm showed no sign of letting up, I realized the mountain had other plans for us. We were at the mercy of the Mount of the Holy Cross, caught in a battle of wills a test of survival and as the hours dragged on as the storm raged around us i knew we were in for the fight of our lives the wind howled like a pack of wolves on the hunt circling around us as ricky and i huddled together beneath the overhang the cold was a living thing reaching out with icy fingers trying to pull the warmth from our bodies i could feel ricky shivering next to me his body convulsing in spasms as the hypothermia set in we were both experienced climbers We had faced tough situations before, but nothing like this. This was survival at its most primal. We need to stay awake, Ricky muttered through chattering teeth, his voice barely audible over the wind. If we fall asleep, we might not wake up. He was right. I knew he was right, but the cold was so intense, so overwhelming it was all I could do to keep my eyes open. My eyelids were heavy, my body numb. I was on the edge of consciousness teetering on the brink. I forced myself to talk, to keep my mind active. Remember that time in Moab? I asked, my voice hoarse. The sun was so hot, we thought we were going to melt. Right now, I'd give anything to be back there. Ricky chuckled, a weak, raspy sound. Yeah, and you complained the whole time about the heat. Said you'd rather be in a snowstorm. I smiled, despite the situation. Well, I take it back. I'd rather be sweating than freezing. We talked for hours, or maybe it was minutes. Time had lost all meaning in the darkness of the storm. We talked about past climbs, about the good times, and the bad. We talked about our families, about what they would be doing right now. We talked about everything and nothing, all in an effort to stay awake, to stay alive. At some point I realized Ricky had stopped talking. I turned to look at him, my heart pounding in my chest. Ricky? I said, my voice a whisper. Ricky, talk to me. He didn't respond. His eyes were closed, his body still. I shook him, panic setting in. Ricky, wake up. His eyes fluttered open and he looked at me, confused. I'm okay, he said, his voice weak. Just, just tired. No, Ricky, you can't sleep. You need to stay awake. I know, he said, nodding. I know, I'm just so damn tired. We need to move, I said, the decision made. We can't stay here. We need to find shelter, get out of this wind. It was a risky move. We were weak, disoriented, but staying put was a death sentence, and I knew it. We crawled out from beneath the overhang, the wind hitting us like a freight train. We staggered to our feet, leaning on each other for support. We need to find the North Ridge, I said, shouting over the wind. It's our best shot at getting down. Ricky nodded, his eyes glazed over. Let's do it, let's get out of here. We started down the mountain, each step a monumental effort. The snow was deep, the wind relentless, but we kept moving, kept pushing forward, I don't know how long we walked, how far we went, but eventually the wind died down, the snow let up. We had made it off the summit, made it out of the storm, but we were far from safe. The mountain was still a treacherous place and we were still a long way from home. As dawn painted the sky with strokes of pink and gold, Ricky and I found ourselves in a world transformed. The storm had passed, leaving behind a blanket of pristine snow. It was beautiful in a deadly sort of way. We need to find the descent, Ricky said, his voice weak but determined. He was a mess, his face pale and his lips blue from the cold, but his eyes had that glint of stubbornness I knew all too well. I nodded, scanning the horizon for any sign of the north ridge, but everything looked the same, just endless expanses of white. It's got to be around here somewhere, I muttered, more to myself than to Ricky. We started walking, our movements slow and unsteady. Every step was a struggle, our bodies pushed to their limits, but we couldn't stop. Not now. Stopping meant death. Hours passed, or maybe it was days. Time had lost all meaning. We walked and we walked, our bodies running on fumes. I could feel my strength fading, my resolve weakening, but I couldn't give up, not while Ricky was depending on me. We need to rest, Ricky said finally, his voice barely audible. I shook my head, my vision blurry. We can't. If we stop, we might not get up again. Ricky stopped walking, swaying on his feet. I can't go on, he whispered, his body crumpling to the ground. Panic surged through me as I realized he was right. We were done. This was it. But then in the distance, I heard a sound. Faint, almost imperceptible, but there. A helicopter. Ricky, I said, shaking him. Do you hear that? He looked up at me, his eyes vacant. Hear what? The helicopter. We need to move. Now. Somehow we found the strength to stand, to stumble forward. The sound of the helicopter grew louder, closer. This was our chance, our only chance. We broke through the trees into a clearing, the helicopter now directly above us. I waved my arms, shouted at the top of my lungs, but it just flew past, disappearing into the distance. No, I whispered, my legs giving out beneath me. No, Ricky collapsed next to me, his body shaking with sobs. We were so close, he cried, so close. I put my arm around him, my own tears falling. We had given everything we had, but it hadn't been enough. We were still lost, still alone. We're going to die out here, aren't we? Ricky asked, his voice broken. I didn't answer because I didn't know. All I knew was that we had survived the storm, survived the mountain. But the wilderness was unforgiving, and our time was running out. As the day turned to night, and the temperature dropped, I realized the true meaning of despair. We were lost and alone, and there was no one coming to save us. The night crept in like a thief, cold and unforgiving. Ricky and I were spent, our bodies and spirits broken. We huddled together, our breaths visible in the biting air, as we faced the grim reality of our situation. This isn't how it was supposed to end, Ricky whispered, his voice quivering. I know, buddy, I know. My words were barely audible carried away by the merciless wind the temperature plunged as the darkness deepened and our world shrunk to the small patch of snow we sat on the pain in my feet had ceased replaced by a numbness that was somehow worse i knew it was a bad sign but there was nothing we could do we were completely at the mercy of the mountain i can't feel my feet anymore ricky said his voice edged with panic we need to keep moving i urged though my own body resisted the command. We can't. I can't. His words struck a chord of terror in my heart. We were teetering on the edge, and I knew we had to push through, or we wouldn't make it. In a moment of desperation, I thought of home, of the warmth and safety we had left behind. I thought of my parents, waiting, worrying. I couldn't let them down. Ricky, we have to try. For our families, we owe them that much. He looked at me, his eyes wide and filled with pain. I don't know if I can. You can. We have to. With a deep breath, we staggered to our feet, our bodies screaming in protest. We had no direction, no plan, but we knew we couldn't stay still. We walked, or rather stumbled, through the night, our progress agonizingly slow. Every step was a battle, but we pushed through, driven by desperation and the faint glimmer of hope that we might still make it out alive. As the hours dragged on, my mind began to play tricks on me. I saw lights in the distance, heard voices calling our names, but every time we stopped to listen, the sounds faded away, leaving us alone in the darkness. We're going in circles, Ricky said, his voice void of emotion. I know, I know. It was the truth. We were lost, and deep down I knew we had been for a long time. The mountain had beaten us, but then, just as I was about to give up, I heard it the unmistakable sound of a helicopter, closer than before. ''Ricky, do you hear that?'' I shouted, my voice filled with newfound energy. He nodded, his eyes lighting up with hope. ''Yeah, yeah, I hear it.'' This time we didn't stop. We ran, ignoring the pain, the cold, the exhaustion. We ran toward the sound, toward our chance of survival. And as the helicopter drew nearer, I realized that we had found something more powerful than the mountain, more potent than the cold. We had found hope. The sound of the helicopter blades grew louder, slicing through the thick curtain of despair that had enveloped us. The pain in my limbs was forgotten, replaced by a surge of adrenaline as we stumbled toward the source of the noise. I could feel Ricky's presence beside me, his breaths ragged but determined. We were so close, so close to salvation. I shouted, my voice raw as I waved my arms frantically, hoping to catch the pilot's attention. And then. Like a beacon in the night, the helicopter appeared above us, its lights piercing through the darkness. It circled once, twice, and on the third round it hovered, the wind from the blades whipping around us in a frenzy. We're saved, Ricky gasped, his voice filled with relief, but as the helicopter descended, something felt off. The wind grew stronger, more violent, and I had to shield my eyes with my arm to keep from being blinded by the swirling snow. The noise was deafening and I realized with a sinking feeling that the helicopter was too close, too low. Move! I screamed, grabbing Ricky by the arm and pulling him away. But it was too late. The helicopter tilted, caught by a gust of wind, and in an instant it was crashing down toward us. I felt a searing pain in my leg, and then everything went black. When I came to, the pain was all-encompassing. My leg was pinned beneath the wreckage. The metal twisted and burning cold against my skin. I could hear Ricky's labored breathing beside me, and I knew we were in trouble. The helicopter was our ticket out of here, and now it was gone. Ricky? I croaked, my voice barely audible above the howling wind. I'm here, he replied, his voice weak. I'm stuck. I can't move. I... I can't feel my legs. The reality of our situation hit me like a ton of bricks. We were alone, injured and trapped in the freezing wilderness. The helicopter had been our last hope and now it was gone, and then I heard it, a soft, eerie whisper carried by the wind. Help, help me. I strained my ears, trying to make sense of the noise. Was it another survivor, a rescuer? Ricky, do you hear that? Hear what? He sounded confused, disoriented. The voice, someone's calling for help. I don't hear anything, but the voice grew louder, more insistent, help me, please, I tried to move, To free myself from the wreckage but the pain was too much i was stuck helpless as the voice continued to call out in the darkness who's there where are you i shouted my voice filled with desperation but there was no response only the relentless whisper of help me help me as the hours dragged on the voice became my constant companion a chilling reminder of our hopeless situation i could feel myself slipping away My consciousness fading as the cold and pain took over, and in those final moments, as the darkness closed in, I realized the terrifying truth. The voice was never there. It was all in my head, a product of my own despair. We were truly alone, and help was never coming.